Welcome to The Living Word with me, Sarah Ajala Emmanuel. I thank the Lord for his mercy over us all. The gift of a new day, the gift, well, even the day is drifting away slowly, as we see. But we thank him for the preservation of lives that we may once again uh, listen to him, once again um, enjoy him, enjoy his word, which is mercifully given to us for our good and for our walk of faith. We thank him because he's a merciful, gracious king. And so we rejoice in what he has done and what he continues to do in all our lives. He's a good God. He's a wonderful father, wonderful, glorious savior. And there is never a better place to be than in his word. So we're continuing in the series on fair weather Christians, fair weather Christians. And today I want to deal with the issue of uh, our attitude to sufferings, because unfortunately, um, many professing Christians don't do suffering. They don't do hardship. They don't like it because they're told that because they are children of God, because they are Christians, they must have life at its very best, you know, health, wealth, and everything else that is wonderful and blissful. But I don't know, that that particular line of thought and school of teaching has come from the depths of hell because they are not of God. They are not of God. There is no point in time in scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, where we are told that because we are Christians, because we are children of God, we will have no sufferings, we will have no difficulty, we're going to have all the money we need, we'll live in perpetually fantastic health, we will have everything our heart desires. Now, let's understand one thing, that the heart of man, of the regular carnal man, is covered as the best and dissatisfied, discontent, greedy, by all means. And, you know, we're plagued with jealousy and envy towards those who have the things we would like to have but don't have. But so there is nowhere in Christianity where we're taught that. On the contrary, what our Lord Jesus Christ said to us, what he said to the disciples and as thought to us, you know, during his uh, final talks with them, was in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So we are meant to be heaven focused, not focused on this world and what it has to offer or what it doesn't have to offer and what is going on in the world. But we have a lot of people now who are teaching this very lie, telling people that because they are Christians, they should have their best life now. They they should own these. They should have that. And then they teach them the power of positive confession. Now, that nonsense comes from the mind science course. Nothing to do with Christianity. So you have a situation where, you know, amongst Africans, this is so common. A person has a is feeling unwell <clears throat> and you ask them how they are. And they say, oh, I'm very strong. I'm very strong. I mean, it's so daft. <laughs> it's really stupid, you know. And um, they go, it is well, it is well. They don't even know what they're talking about. The man who wrote the song, it is well with my soul, didn't say it because life was blissful. He was, it was something, there were words he penned at the most painful time of his life. We're going to come to that because in the next installment of this matter of uh, trials and sufferings, we're going to look at some biographies of some Christians in the past, you know, people like you and I, who lived the Christian life faithfully and endured all hardship and all sufferings. You know, it's just the way it is. We cannot, this this world has been given to Satan in a way, 
and it's his territory. You know, he was thrown out to, to roam the world as he fancies. And as such, you know, even the Lord Jesus Christ called him the prince of the world. So he's not going to, you know, he's not going to suffer Christians gladly. His battle is against our Lord. He could not win against our Lord. So now he fights against the church, which are the people of God. And it's a pitiful, it's a very pitiful thing where the people are not discerning enough. And they say they're a church and they're running back and forth and helter-skelter and so distressed and, you know, disorientated because they're trying to, they can't understand why they're going through trials. They can't understand why they're suffering. And they're being told and spurred on by some charlatan at the top of the ladder called a pastor or a bishop or a general overseer or a prophet telling them, they will deliver them. They can deliver them from all hardship. They can deliver them from, from all sorts of things. And we have this ridiculous thing called the deliverance ministry. There's nothing I hate more. Called the deliverance ministry, where people are, you know, being told to come in and they'll be delivered over so many prayer sessions and fasting sessions. I mean, of course, these services are not for free, you know. And um, they, they're claiming to deliver. I mean, who is any man or woman to decide they can change another person's life. You know, you can change God's plan for anybody. Nobody can change God's plans for anyone else. They don't even know what God's plans for their lives are. And if they continue in their, in their evil trade, we know these people are hell bound. They have no fellowship with God whatsoever. So they're trading lies. Lies and deception are their stock in trade. And they have millions of followers across the world. It is so sad. It is so sad that the first thing that some people do, African Christians generally, not all, I mean, I'm African, and there are a few good, wonderful, faithful Africans. God always has his remnant everywhere, no matter what, you know, atrocities may be going on. God has his own faithful few remnant. And we have people, but the majority of people, they're in and out of crusades and in and out of conventions and all those things where they're being told, you know, you're going to get, God wants to lift you higher and God wants to do a new thing, an amazing thing in your life. All your sufferings are going to come to an end today. All your enemies are going to die by fire or thunder tomorrow or something like that. And the people are believing this nonsense. I mean, it makes you wonder. The Holy Bible is there for all of us. For every one of us, we all have access to it. We can all read and get understanding if we seek God with a sincere heart. God says it very, very clearly in, in Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah 23, I do believe it is. Funnily enough, that wasn't even that's not even one of the texts I want to use today, but um we've um you know we're we're talking about it, so we might as well see what the Lord Himself has to say about it no it's not 20 it's not 23 i found it i think it might be have a way of finding things in in this particular bible if i pick another one i'll lose um i'll, I'll lose um track but anyway so god has his plans i'll find it god has his plans for each and every one of his children but the trouble is how many are truly his children but it's not enough that because you show up in, in a church and you go to church and you go to pastor or you are loyal and faithful to pastor. There you go. It's uh, Jeremiah 29 thing. There we are. And from um, from verse 11 then, as this is God speaking to his people in those days, and pretty much so we are his people today. So a lot of what God has said still applies to us. And he said that from verse 11 of Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will, and I will bring you back from captivity. Right. Okay. We'll stop there. God said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. God is not in hiding from any who belong to him. The key here is to belong to God. Church attendance does not mean you belong to God. You know, paying seeds, uh, tithes and offerings and sowing endless seeds towards a goal of getting back more does not make you belong to God. You know, loving your pastor is not tantamount to loving God. There's a big difference there. In fact, a lot of what we see today is idolatry. You know, this love of pastor, forgetting that pastor himself is a is, is just another brother in Christ, but they do not carry themselves. Four servants do not carry themselves as brothers in, in Christ to you. No, they stand and say they're your father in Christ. I don't know where that comes from because uh, what does that then make their followers? Grandchildren to God? We read nothing about grandchildren in the Bible. God has children, and that's as far as it goes. Now, we have the situation, they say they're doing this, deliverance ministries, and people are running back and forth. I am yet to find anyone who is content, who can say, yes, I was delivered from this. Yeah, they, they can have some superficial relief for a time because of what they've been told, because of uh, hypnotism, because of um, a feeling of euphoria, false, doesn't, it's never long-lasting. But the trouble is, they say they're delivered from one particular problem and that they're in for another problem. You know, it's one after the other. You know why? Because there's no truth in it. Because there's no truth in it. I cannot stand the idea of deliverance ministries because I always say whatever it was that troubles or troubled any one of us before we came to Christ, the moment we came to Christ, the yoke was broken. People talk about another thing, the lie, the self-people, it's about curses of heritage and, you know, sins of heritage. If I do not continue in my mother or my father's sinfulness, and the sins generally, we all sin, but the particular sin the Bible talks about, we talk about sins of heritage, is sins of unbelief in God, sins of faithlessness in God, sins of lack of trust in God, of lack of dedication to God. Now, if I do not walk that path, Though I see my parents walk in it, and I choose to follow Christ instead, the moment I come to Christ and give my life back to him, the life he purchased on the cross when he shed his blood, if I give that life back to him because he owns me, I have no part in my father's sins or my mother's sins. But people are told that's the situation, and they need deliverance. Then they're told they're under curses of heritage. What curses? Who's cursed who? You know, you cannot be anybody who is away from God, who is apart from God, is indeed cursed. You know, that's just the way it is. If you if you if you belong to God, you are blessed. If you don't, you are cursed. It's just that simple. So there's no curse of heritage if I now be, belong to Christ Jesus. But they tell people otherwise, and so that's the reason you have not prospered. That's the reason you're not married. That's the reason you don't um, you don't have children. That's the reason your career is uh, uh, as failed. That's the reason your business is not uh, prospering because it's suffering from a curse of heritage. There's no curses. Jesus paid it all. We have all we need and all we have in Christ Jesus. He, he finished the work. He said it is finished. He did not subordinate any part of our salvation or deliverance from evil 
to any man or woman anywhere. The work we have in hand is to continue to proclaim the gospel through our personal testimony of our renewed lives in Christ, what Christ did for us, and what Christ can do for anyone who will turn to him and repent of their sins. That's the message we have. So all this nonsense about deliverance and demon chasing and all that sort of things, and then bringing people to the belief that the reason they are having facing trials is because they're being tormented by some witches or some wizards or or some spirit and some demons is a whole lot of nonsense. It's a whole lot of nonsense. God does permit his children to go through trials because therefore are good. And this is what we're going to look at. The first bit of scripture we're going to examine is uh, in James, chapter one of James. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, the unbelievers or, or fickle uh, believers who would have listened to James and may have thought, what on earth is he talking about? <laughs> because James, you know, from verse two of chapter one, says, um, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. So in other words, there's a wide variety of trials that we can face. Could be anything. Could be loss of finances to loss of health. Could be loss of a spouse, loss of a child, loss of a job, uh, stagnancy in your, in your career, loss of a business. It could be anything. It could be anything. But in as much as we know that we belong to God, we are told to be still and know that he is God. Running back and forth to find deliverance from somebody or someone to blame. Don't Africans just love the blame culture? Africans love it. They get a headache. It's got to, must have come from somebody somewhere wielding a power of sorts. <laughs> they got a toothache. It's a problem. If they have a sleep up and fall, there's someone behind it. If they are not married, never mind. They don't consider their own personal sins in all of this. No, 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 no. Because their they're, they're ministers, their false ministers tell them they don't even address the matter of their sins or whether or not they belong to Christ. That's what I find really intriguing about this or fascinating about those deliverance ministries. They are happy to, it's a come one, come all situation. They're happy to say they, go, they can deliver anybody, whether they're believers or not. That's why you know it's a trade. It's a false evil trade because we see them all on television you know showing showing off their skills you know uh, uh, delivering people from witchcraft and delivering people from demons and praying for people uh, uh, well i said they pray they don't pray they don't say they pray they don't pray they just bandy about the name of the lord blasphemy they actually stand like they can do it i mean they don't even say they can do it they boast about their skills and powers and abilities and they don't, you don't hear them asking the people about their faith or asking them if they know the Lord. That's what I mean. You know, it's not so much do you have faith that they say, and people go, yeah, I have faith. Do you believe I can deliver you? Yes, I believe that. That's madness. It's foolishness. And people, those sort of people, all they do really is alienate people from God. Without uh, trials and suffering, we cannot be molded into the people God wants us to be. It's a statement of fact. If we read the if we read through the scriptures, 
we will see everyone God used for his glory had to go through a refining process. And they rejoiced in it. So James isn't speaking out of context when he says, consider it all a pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the, uh, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Another word for perseverance, being endurance, you bear it, however painful, however tough, you, you, you just hold on to it because you know God is aware of it. He's probably, well, he permits it. Because God is more than able to prevent any evil from happening to us. But then when he lets us go through it, it's because he has a purpose in it. And we will do well to align with his purpose. We, I miss many tears, maybe. Yeah, a lot of pain and agony and anguish, whatever. But you do not, you do not walk away from God. This is the thing. You continue faithfully. And joyfully, now that may seem a contradiction in terms. I'm suffering, I'm crying, but yes, I'm filled with joy. Yes, because joy is from the inside. This is my testimony, and it is the testimony of many other faithful servants of God, not just in the scriptures, but even out in the world that I have met. We all go through that refining by fire. And you know what? It's a continuous process. And I tell you another thing. You win one battle, you you know, you overcome one 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 set of trials, yeah. You you do it successfully, triumphing in the in the Lord, because you stuck with the with the Lord, because you trusted him, because you did not you know, you did not see God any differently, you loved him even all the more for it. The next batch of trials will be tougher. Oh, it gets harder each time. It gets harder. But then the more you do it, the more you persevere through it, you, you're building character. As James said, you know, he said, the testing, you know, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, which is endurance, your ability to endure, to bear it. Under any kind of pressure, you still continue to proclaim Jesus as Lord. You don't love him any less. You love him all the more. Because, in a fun, you know, it comforts you in a way that you cannot even explain, in a way nobody can. You find your peace. Your peace is just there, even though on the outside you're wasting away. You're going through hell, shall we say, on the outside. But within you, there is this peace. You know what that peace is? It is well with my soul. Because you know that it doesn't matter what you go through in this world, your salvation is secure. Your salvation is sure. Love, God's love for you is certain. It's untainted. It's unwavering. You know that God has promised far much more than all we have in this world. So you see, trials, have their, they have their purpose in, in God. There is a reason why he puts us through, and we're going to go through that. So now he says, perseverance must finish its work of modifying us, of polishing us, of refining us, so that we, um, we can be mature and complete. A mature Christian will not run around trying to find a prophet or a pastor who can fix him up when he's going through difficulties. A mature Christian draws closer to God. A mature Christian, it's a mature, you know, uh, maturing process when we're driven into the arms of God. And this is exactly what trials are meant to do. You know, and we're driven, we come closer to God then. We look to nobody but God. We are, all our attention now is on God because we believe he alone can deliver us. But if you, anyone who believes a man, or woman somewhere, no matter how highly placed in their own eyes they may be, can deliver them. 
he's in trouble. He's in trouble. And such a person is like, he's a retard. They're never going to grow in the Lord. I don't even know that they believe in the, that they belong to the Lord in the first place. So, because trials are meant to identify who the true believers are. Trials are meant to identify who the true saints are. We'll come to that. Right. So he says, perseverance must finish his work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is not saying not lacking money. It's not saying not lacking marriage, not lacking children, not lacking career progression, nothing like that. Nothing in the word of God encourages us in canalism. Nothing at all. Not lacking anything we need to stand firm to the very end. Not lacking anything we need to love God to the very end. Not lacking anything we need to testify, to give testimony to the power, grace, and glory of God in our lives. Not lacking anything to disturb us in our quest for Christ-likeness, because this is the reason we're saved, to become Christ-like, to become like Christ. God is going to have for himself a people for all eternity, a people who will always be with him, who, are, who will always be for him, because they'll be like Christ Jesus, who was Fully man and fully God. I'm not saying we're going to be God. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is a people fully obedient, fully loving, perfect in love for God. Perfect in obedience to God. Perfect in worship and in, in, in holiness. That's what God saves us for. It doesn't save us so that we cannot have, we, we may not have further tribulation and trials and problems in the world and we can enjoy perpetually good health. No, we will leave this world. We have to leave this world. To be honest with you, I look forward to leaving this world because there is nothing in it. And like I always say, if it's not good enough for God, it's not good enough for me. I look forward to the eternal promises. And this is what people should look forward to. But we have those fecal Christians who at the mention of death, you're just having a conversation, you talk about death, they go, that's not my portion. You talk about sickness, I rebuke it. You talk about uh, maybe anything negative that happens, that these things do happen to them, but they're in denial and they say, oh, that's not my portion. I reject it in Jesus' name. Stop, stop, stop blaspheming the name of the Lord. Because you know what? If all the earlier servants whose works we read about in the Bible, those whom God used to deliver to us this amazing, amazing book that guides our lives and nurtures our souls, if those people had rejected the discipline of God, the call of God to their sufferings, we all will be, wouldn't be here today. If the Lord Jesus Christ had rejected his coming down to earth, to die for us and going to the cross. If you had rebuked going to the cross and rejected and claimed it wasn't his portion, none of us would be saved today. We'd all be damned, eternally damned and doomed and everything, all the misery. But we have peace, we have joy. Why? Because these people served and they, and they served and went through it all. Jesus bore the pain. He was innocent for crying out loud. He did nothing wrong, but he did good. God came down and mankind in all our evil-mindedness sought to kill God, because that's what we did, you know. And there's no point in saying, oh, well, no, I wasn't part of it. No, could have been any of us. I don't know what I would have done if I'd been around then. I may have cast the first stone at him or something, or even picked up a hammer to, to bang the nails in. Who knows? But I'm thankful that he that death covered me too. That blood he shed has cleansed me, and now I belong to him. None of us deserve to belong to God. For goodness sake, we're too sinful too vile, too full of every kind of evil. But God, in his infinite love and mercy, 
And so to make us the perfect children he desires, not perfect in our own eyes, by our estimation, he lets us go through trials. And we must go through trials. And because we belong to God, we will go through trials because the devil does not fancy us. We are opposition to him. I mean, consider the, matter, uh, the case of Job. I'm sure we all know the story of Job. Job was a perfect man. God was able to say, testify about Job, you know, before Satan and the heavenly host. Have he considered my servant Job? There is no one like him in all the earth who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan went, oh, come on now. Job's a fair weather friend. Do you think Job loves God for nothing? It's because of such a hedge around the guy. Look at him. He's so wealthy. He's the wealthiest in the land. He's got all that he needs. He's happy. He's, you know, you strike him. T -t Take everything he's got. And you see, he'll curse you to your face. You know, in other words, accusing Job of being a fair weather friend of God. And God permitted the trials. I don't know that any one of us, anyone on earth yet, has been through the, 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 the level of the trial that Job went through. There may well have been some people, I don't know. But what I'm saying is it's so, his was so intense, so severe. Even his health went, because I've been taking everything he materially had, including his 10 children. Satan so went back up to God and said, okay, so how, <laughs> are we faring then? This job of a guy, you know. And God said, look at him. It's part of everything you've done to him. Job still loves God. He still shows him. He still stands firm. And um, uh, Job said, oh, come on. Um, Satan went, come on now, God. You know, a man will give anything he has for, 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 for his life. You, you strike him. Strike his life and, you know, you see what happens. And God said, okay, you can, you can affect his health, but you are not allowed to touch his life. And you know such a boundary. God still sets boundaries for the devil in the lives of his children. He still does. And we know in the New Testament, it tells us that God is faithful. Paul said it, I think it's somewhere in 1 Corinthians. God said, I mean, Paul said, God is faithful and will not let you go through any trial that you cannot withstand. And that is a fact. So sometimes we think, oh, this is overwhelming. The trick is not. The answer is never to run to any other man because he claims he can deliver you. When you do such a thing, you're out of the will of God. Because it is the will of God that we go through suffering. It is the will of God that we go through trials. Through all of, throughout all of Job's um, suffering, what he couldn't understand, he was so disillusioned. Because as far as he was concerned, he was doing everything right in the eyes of God. He loved God. He was obedient to God. And he just couldn't understand. He was very disillusioned. I would be. I was disillusioned the first time I went to, through my first trials after becoming a Christian. Goodness me. I'll come back to that in a minute. Yes, you do suffer disillusionment because you're wondering uh, what's going on here. God, are you watching? I even accused God once of enjoying my suffering. You know, thank God I repented of that foolishness. But I actually, in tears, in anguish, I said, oh, yeah, you're enjoying this, aren't you? Because I can't understand why you're not taking me out of it. I've cried, I've prayed, I've fasted. I don't know what else to do. So you just, you just enjoying it, aren't you? Because I imagine I was insinuating that God was evil. Forgive me, Lord. You know, every time I think about it, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. But I have to share it with you so that you know not to make, not to make the same mistake. We must go through trials. Otherwise, you do not, you cannot have a part in the kingdom of God and of his grace. You can't. Jesus later us such as the first example. Let's even leave Job out of this. 
same way in the church age, like like we like to say, yeah, which is true. But even there, Christ laid set himself up as the first example. People went through trials to the point of death. The first martyr, Stephen. Stephen was being stoned to death for proclaiming the gospel. He stood on that truth anyway because he told them, you murdered the Lord of life. You murdered the Savior. And he did not fail. Even when they were stoning him to death. You know what he did? He did the most amazing thing. I was the first man who showed the same grace that the Lord, you know, that the Lord showed us. He said, Lord, do not hold this against them. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen said the same thing. And it was a mere man like you and I. He was being stoned to death for crying out loud. And he said it. Yes. Thank you. We'll use that. Let's look at that. Um, 2 Timothy 3.12, which is wonderful. Thank you, brother, who sent me that text as well. Let's look at that also. 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men (laughs) and imposters will go from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. See? They are the ones who will tell you they can deliver you. You you shouldn't be suffering. It's not your portion. You know, you're a child of God. You should live the kingdom life here. Yes, we live the kingdom life here. It is the kingdom of holiness, not of opulence and things that as the false teachers purport to teach the people. Well, that's what they say. You know, kingdom life. When they talk about living the kingdom life, they're talking about you having an abundance of wealth and all sorts of all sorts of material things and living blissfully. If you are living blissfully and that's all you want to do, forget it. You have no portion with the Lord. You have you you've, you've got nothing. You've got nothing really because you know you enjoy your best life now, a la Joel Osteen, you know. Because that is all such people have got. Because they have got nothing else in God's promise for the future. They just got this, just this. So trials must come. Trials serve to develop and mature our relationship with God, you see. Because uh, we all claim to be Christians. For one thing, it's um, uh, trials are uh, an elimination process, shall we say. Yeah, elimination process. We separate the wheat from the chaff. Because <laughs> everybody claims they're Christians, everybody is in church, you know. Everybody runs around joining some body or the other, you know. And we all claim we're Christians. We all carry the Bible, but how many actually trust in the words of that Bible? How many actually are in the church for the glory of God only, to worship Christ only? How many? Many people are in church for their own personal ambition, for their own selfish purposes. This is what this entire series on fair weather Christians is all about. What are we doing in the church? What am I in the church for? What are you in the church for? Because if anyone, I always say, anyone who attends a church because they were invited to um, come and, um, you know, hand their problems over to some pastor or prophet or whoever leads the church because, oh, he's so gifted. He can do this. He can do that. All your problems will be solved. You know, you he can heal you. He can he can get you the fruit of the womb. He can do get you a spouse. He can pray over your business. He can anoint your house. He can do those. You're in there for the wrong reason. You never find Christ. Nobody will ever find Christ on that sort of guys. 
the only reason we come together. The thing is, the church should not even be a place for sinners. No. Church isn't where we do our evangelism. No. Church is the gathering of the saints. The saints, not the sinners. Okay, we may get the odd sinners tray in, but when they do come in, the words they hear and the beauty of the fellowship of the saints should convict them. But we have what we have now, they, a lot of places, they call it church, full of nothing but sinners, full of nothing but adulterers, full of nothing but fornicators, full of nothing but frosters and thieves, prostitutes. I mean, it all starts with the, with, with the leader themselves, male or female, you know, starts with them because they are stealing. They're just there to steal. That's what they are there for. To, you know, they're doing this purpose, serving the purpose of their father to, to kill, steal, and destroy. The only reason we come together as the people of God, because our faith is an individual thing. Our salvation is an individual thing. I know I'm saved. I know I have a relationship with God, my father. I can call on him anywhere, anytime. I can pray on my own anywhere, anytime. I can do any, I can worship on my own. And anywhere, anytime. And in fact, worship is a continual thing. It's a lifestyle. It's not something you do when you set apart a particular day and or, or a particular moment. No, no, no. Worship is the way you live to the glory of God, where the beauty of Christ reflects in you in all things, in every way, where you're always mindful of the fact that God is watching you because he's in you. Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit leads and guides you. That is, And as such, because you are conscious of that, always, that's what it means to walk in the spirit. That's what it means to be spirit-filled. You don't need to back about in tongues to be spirit-filled. It's nothing like that. You know, you are always God-conscious. And you carry yourself. When we look at the royal family, okay, that's a bit of a problem these days. But in the past, they sort of were role models in society of people who, who did the right things and said the right words and lived right. Okay, how much more? All their kingdoms are going to fall apart. We see them falling apart daily. But we belong to the only kingdom that is a kingdom that will stand forever through every age. That kingdom will be eternal. That is the kingdom to which we belong. So when we leave this world, we live in the kingdom now. I always say this. If you do not live in the kingdom of God now, you cannot live in it for eternity. You either belong there now while you're brief. Or you don't. Because all we expect are death from the world. Don't be terrified by the word death. It only means separation. That's all it is. When we're separated from the world in death, then we are, we are uh, our souls appear before God, our Savior. And they will be made perfect. No more of the issues we had here, bad health, uh difficulties, you know, dodgy knees like mine and things like that. You know, no more sin, no more evil, nothing, no threats, nothing at all, no temptations. That's what we look for. It's going to be a place of perfection. We will be perfected, our glorification. That's all we're looking forward to. So knowing who I am in Christ, I come together with other fellow saints like me who are the children of God because we are the family of God. That's what the church is. Be called out of the world and into God's glory and honor. And so we come together and have fellowship. 
and we sing praises and we proclaim the glories of our God in prayer and we we, we share the word, we learn the word. We This is what it's all about. That's what church fellowship is. It's not a place where you go and have the spectacular shows of deliverances and miracles and things. And it's so bad now that they don't even bother to, to try and worship anymore. It's just a show. It's showtime. When you look at the ministries of the uh, of the types of Benny Hinn and Chris Oyakilome of Nigeria and TB Joshua of Nigeria and Adeboye and Oyedekwa, they all come up there. You, I'm not even going to start reading up their names now. There are too many of them. But I can give you a whole list of names if you want. Just ask me. <laughs> I'll tell you. You know, and they just they just throw shows. You know, I mean, in some, it's so crass. They even have beauty pageants, you know. They have entertainment at all levels. You know, you have breakdancers, have comedians come in and all that. That's There's not churches. No, they're just businesses. Entertainment houses where people go to be entertained, you know. And um, not, not free of charge. It's never free of charge. You have to sow all kinds of evil seeds before you leave there. You know, evil because, one, on the part of the giver, you're trying to pay for God's favors and blessings. That's evil. Evil on the part of the receiver because he knows or she knows that they're lying to you. They know they're just rubbing. So you see, these people who go to false churches and 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 worship, if we can call what they do worship, they don't worship. No, who go to be entertained by, by false ministers as guilty as the false ministers. Yeah, they're just as guilty as guilty as one another, and none of them are saved. Not the minister, not the followers, because they are all alienated from God. Christianity that condemns suffering is no true Christianity. They're telling you you shouldn't, and so they're helping you hunt down witches and demons and all sorts of things like that. No, suffering, our trials, come from the genuineness of our professed faith. To us, not to God. God knows exactly who each of us is. He knows his own. You know, the Bible says that we know that one thing is for sure, you know, we know that the ordinance of God remains, that God knows those who are his. But in order for us to look at ourselves and know who we are, if we say we're Christians, we go through trials. Trials will come our way. God lets these trials happen. And it is how we receive or reject the trials that confirms whether we are truly in the faith or not. Because if I'm going to run around, because all of a sudden my business has collapsed, and that actually happened to me in real life, you know, my business collapses, and so I think, oh my goodness, no, 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 there's got to be an enemy behind this, and I'm running around, you know, pastor, please help me, oh, prophet, please save me, oh, I need deliverance, and all that foolishness, and they will, they will encourage you, you say, oh, yeah, you need deliverance, oh, yes, there's the enemy, he doesn't want you prospering, you think Satan has time for foolishness like that? He's not skin off his nose, if I become a millionaire. Because that's got nothing to do with my salvation. I can have all the billions in the world and 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 be unsaved. As a matter of fact, most of the billionaires and, and multimillionaires in the world are unsaved because they don't think they need, you know, God. They think they've got all that they need. And do you know why they think so? Because of the foolish false teachers we have in the world who say to people, come to God and you'll be wealthy and rich. So they look at it and think, well, I've got all I need. So obviously I don't need your God. Rather than the message, the only message we were sent with, which is, Turn to God or perish, money or no money, status or no status. God is no respecter of persons. You could be president, king, queen, whatever, prime minister. If you are not saved through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you're hellbound. You can have all your pomp and pageantry in the world, you're hellbound. That's just the way it is. But, you know, a lot of well, the imposters, because I believe 
that, and I know it, that the true church of God remains chaste, remains holy, remains purposeful, remains focused. That is the church Jesus established. And he said categorically, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So where you have churches that's full of sinners and full of witchcraft and full of all sorts of nonsense and filth, that church does not belong to the Lord. Just because it calls itself church does not mean it belongs to the Lord. And the Lord definitely is not in there. The Lord is amongst his own people who are devoted to him. And each of them have got their stories about the trials they've been through. Oh, yes, we all have our experiences. And we don't say with, uh, with sorrow. We share it with thanksgiving. We share it with thanksgiving. When I look back at where the Lord has brought me from, I'm full of praise and adoration for him. I love him more and more with every trial. Do you know what? There is, I've been through a lot, but there is no trial. None of them was pleasant at the time. Oh, my what? None of them was pleasant at the time. But there is no trial I have had that I look back on reflection I wish I hadn't had. No, because I wouldn't be where I am today in the Lord if I had not had those trials. So I'm thankful. And this is another thing where I say to people, why is it every new year when false teachers are trying to, or false ministers are trying to fleece you, they tell you to come for a new beginning, come for a new beginning. What? You want to keep beginning over again, over and over again, like an idiot. When are you ever going to grow? You're starting again every, new, every, every 1st of January, every 31st. What's the meaning of that? What is the purpose of that? Should you not be growing? We are meant to be growing and maturing in the Lord. So if somebody is, you know, putting you in reverse gear every year in the name of them delivering you, you've got problems. You've got major, major problems. Let's look at what the Bible tells us in chapter 12 of Hebrews. From verse 7. No, actually, let me take you from a bit earlier than that. Because it's a, let's not lose the context. Take it from verse 4. In your, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's comparing us to Christ. And Jesus wasn't even resisting sin. <coughs> Excuse me. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses your sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. And your hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see? Isn't that amazing? This is what the Bible teaches. But people are being told, no, 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 hardship is not your portion. You shouldn't go through that, and I can help you out of it, and I can help you out of it. Do you know, God makes it very clear in Jeremiah chapter 17, from five, uh, verse 5 to 7, that cursed is the one who turns to flesh for his strength. 
So those people who run along looking for prophets and pastors who can fix them are cursed. They plunge themselves in under God's curse. Because further on in there, God also says, but blessed is the man who trusts in God for his strength. So God has got every resource we need to overcome every trial. And that's why James said, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives freely without finding fault. He gives abundantly. The wisdom we're talking about here that James is saying is in the event of your trial and tribulation that you're going through, if you're so disillusioned, like I said, you will. You will be disillusioned when it starts, especially when you just when you're a new Christian and you know, even sometimes we're an established Christian, you know, these things happen and you think, but Lord, I mean it happened to me when I um set up a business some so many years back. I put a lot of money in it, put it this way, I put all the money I had in the world in it. And I was so sure God was on my side in this venture. <laughs> because everywhere I went, I found favor. Everyone looked at it and, you know, it had this wow factor. Everybody loved what I was doing. But, you know, um, <laughs> after settling it all and everything was, I expected everything to start running smoothly and all, difficulties began. And I was thinking, uh, I, I was praying, oh, Lord, help me through this, you know, you know, help me, bless this thing and all that. Come on, you were with me when I was doing it. You, you know, you watch me do it. Surely if it wasn't your will, you wouldn't have let me do it. Come on now. You know, I, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, and no things just got from bad to worse. And um, I thank God that I've matured past that level of cursing enemies because that's what I did. The very first trial I went through that I mentioned earlier, I spent almost two years cursing out enemies because I was coming from that kind of background of a church, you know, just a cult, really. It's one of those white garment African churches. I'd been there for 14 years. And in there, you know, as with many Pentecostals and Charismatics, you know, they're always looking for devils in every nook and cranny of life. And so um, all they ever did was curse out enemies. They believed everything, everything. The, the, the uh, Tommy ache was from the from an enemy. Everything, everything, anything at all that went wrong with your life was never your fault. Even if we are steeped in sin, it was never your fault. It was always due to somebody else, uh, somewhere. Always an imaginary person. In fact, they some of them are so daring. They would even say it's your mother, it's your sister, it's your mother-in-law, your brother-in-law, or somebody. They will point to someone and you know spur you on to 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 and cause enmity between you and innocent people innocent people they tell you their destiny changes and things nobody can change anyone's destiny i wish people stop giving men flesh so much credit even give satan so much credit satan cannot satan in all his powerfulness and cunningness cannot change my destiny in christ he cannot change your destiny in christ if you belong to christ but people so believe in these things you know anyway People so believe, uh, believe in those things, and it carries on. Oh, dear. We've got a bit of a break in the Facebook output. Let's see if we can get that back running. And, um, right. Sorry about that. Right, I apologize for that uh, 
break. Don't know what happened there, but there you go. Anyway, so people so like to believe that there is somebody at fault disturbing them, there's uh, doing things to them, and that's why they're going through the sufferings they're going through. But that is not the case. That is not the case at all. You need to examine yourself. If you believe and know that you belong to Christ, then joyfully, like James said, joyfully accept your trials and your troubles and your tribulations. I mean, it took me quite a few years, four years, to understand that, okay, this is another one of my trials. And, you know, the toughest one I've been through so far, because in that one, you know, I actually lost all the money I've ever had. I haven't got it back yet. I don't know if I'm ever going to get it back, but I'm not even striving to get it back. See? This is where it builds character in us. This is where God matures and, and develops us. Because every time I've gone through trials, I've learned something new. I've learned something new. I've been improved in some way or the other in my, in my walk of faith with God. You know, because like I said, trial, trials confirm the genuineness of our faith. When we're able to withstand and go through any kind of trial because we know God is faithful. When we fully trust in God because we know he is faithful. We trust in every word of his where he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We trust in every word of his, where he says that the eyes of the Lord are always on the, are on the righteous and his ears are always attentive to their cries. He says it protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. When we're able to trust in the Lord, that old taste and see that the Lord is good for those who fear him lack nothing. When we can fully trust in God and honor him with our lives, and continue to worship and be joyful in his presence and before the world. Of what testimony and what use is a Christian who, because of suffering, now this is suffering that is common to everybody else. Everybody else in, in the world goes through trouble, problems, whether they belong to Christ or not, because the world is plagued with problems. But if in my, in my struggles, I am depressed and, you know, morose and miserable and moaning and groaning and lamenting like the godless do. Where's my testimony to the glory of God? I'm of no use to him then because I'm not going through the refining I should be going through. So suffering and, uh, you know, or trials or tribulation even, you know, they serve that purpose of identifying whether we are, whether we have truly God's saving faith. Because the faith that just comes to God and walks with God only, well, claims to walk with God only when things are nice and situations are favorable is no true faith at all. It is when going through the rough and tumble, that is when we know, that's when we, we, we separate the wheat from the, from the chaff, like I said earlier. That's when we know who truly belongs, who a true Christian is. Because in spite of what a faithful Christian is going through, you don't know. I mean, they, they may share with other believers, but you do not see that miserable disposition in them. They're still full of joy. They're still singing and praising. You know, Paul the Apostle, when he wrote in Philippians, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. He wasn't sitting in a palace somewhere enjoying life. He was in prison. He was in prison. And he was telling us to rejoice. That, that, that particular epistle is the joy epistle i you know as many people see it as even as i say it you know he said rejoice in the lord always he didn't say sometimes he didn't say when things are good he said i will say it again rejoice that's philippians 4 4 let your gentleness be evident to all the lord is near do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god only god can deliver
Only God saves. No pastor, no prophet anywhere. They are mere men like you. They, 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 they write up prescriptions, shall we say, for all these deliverance sessions. What happens if they if they were to die tomorrow? So where's the, where's the deliverer then? Because they can die in a second, and they do. But only the Lord delivers. And it is good for us to accept the Lord's discipline. This is what we read in Hebrews. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. He disciplines everyone he loves. And it is because he loves me. Any time I go through trials, I'm just so thankful. Yes, I go through pain, even as the Hebrews said that it's not, it's not pleasant at the time. It's painful. We know that. But still, I'm thankful. Within myself, I'm thankful that God has actually regarded me, me, he thinks I'm worthy to be disciplined, that confirms even more to me that I belong to him. And then that gives me my peace. And, 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 and it replenishes my joy. My joy is just there. And that is why I cannot be fall, you know, I, I cannot be felled by Satan. Because I know my Redeemer lives. I know who it is that what you, that is watching over me. I know who it is that has saved me, to whom I belong, that has adopted me as his own. So I'm not distressed about trials. No, I'm thankful for them. So trials, I mean, it, it, you know, develop our, our relationship with God helps us to, you know, that, that's what they serve to do, to mature us, as we read in James, to mature us in our relationship with God. And also what trials does it brings us to complete, total dependence on him. If you are not restless, not one of those who run after prophets and pastors for deliverance, if you sit still and just deal with this, then you and God, just between you and the Lord, believing that however long it takes for you to go through this space of suffering, you know that you will come out triumphant because the Lord has promised you victory. When Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He was not lying. And it was not thrown us in a delusion. It's a statement of fact. So if you can believe in that and continue faithfully honoring the Lord, then you've got it made. It is well. It is truly well with your soul then. And then another thing I've known that trials do, and it's also evident in the scriptures, is it detaches us from the love of the world. It detaches us from the love of the world. There were so many things I used to have and collect and own and love to have and love to do before my various stages of trials that I found I could no longer do because I'd, I just couldn't. <laughs> I was weaned off those things. I was forcefully yanked out of those sort of things. I mean, one being collecting gold jewelry and things. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it if that's what takes it, tickles your fancy, all well and good. But for me, I was made to understand that I didn't really need those things. I concluded that myself, having gone through a period where I had to sell all that I had. When God restored me, I decided not to repurchase them because I thought, I don't need them. I survived all this, all that time without them. And so places I used to go to, I realized, no, I don't need to be there. Some things I used to do, I don't need to do that. Because at the time of my trial, those things, I had to stop. I just had to because I didn't have the resources to carry on doing it. So you see, it detaches us from the love of the world. And we know that in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, we're told not to love the world or anything in the world because of the love of the world does not come from the Father, but from the, from the devil. 
we belong to God. So he makes sure we have nothing to do with the devil in that, in, in that way. And this is a trouble, you see, because people who run around wanting to leave the health, wealth, and blessed blessings lifestyle, according to uh, prosperity preachers, belong to the devil because they are told to focus on the things of the world. They are told to seek the things of the world. But the Lord Jesus Christ said to those of us who belong to him, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added unto you. All other things that you need. So trials, again, serve to draw us closer to God because you know you have no deliverer anywhere. You cannot put your trust in flesh. Any man or woman, regardless of what title they give themselves, you know they can do nothing for you. He draws you closer to God. You are more prayerful. You, you've got God on your mind all the time during difficulties, during trials, because you know he alone has the might to deliver you. Okay. It teaches us patience and perseverance as we learned, you know, in James. You have to be patient. You just have to wait, sit it out. God does not give us a timetable. And he wouldn't tell us the reason we're going through it, but we've known. We've been able to discern the reason through the wisdom he gives us. And that's why James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all without finding fault. If you can't understand what's going on, you're disillusioned, you, you don't understand why am I going through this? Pray to God for the wisdom for understanding. And it will let you understand that it has to be that way. And then you patiently wait for his deliverance, not go to other men for deliverance. You patiently wait for the Lord's deliverance because he alone can deliver you. That is the main thing. Nobody can. And then trials serve to keep us heaven focused. Because um, when you go through trials, you come to realize that oh, everything in this world is futile anyway. And I have God's eternal promises. And so you're more eager forever for heaven. You know, you won't start rebuking and rejecting it when every time people talk about dying from this world or, or leaving this world. Some people say they're Christians, but they so love the world. They love the world so much, they're not willing to let go of it. They can't bear the thought of sickness or own death. They get so worried and panicky and they run around looking for healings and things. Do you know that you don't need to go to a healing crusade if you're sick, no matter how gravely? Entrust yourself to God and then entrust yourself, you entrust yourself to God and let him guide you and pray that he directs the physicians that you can then turn to because that is the skill God has given them. But first, you commit yourself to God in prayer. And you know what? If it's not the time God has destined for you to come back home to him, to go home to him, rather, you would die. Many people survive with a lot of grave illnesses. Yes, some people die of the smallest things. Some people don't even need anything to go wrong with them before they die. Just sleep and die, just walking along and slump. So what's all the anxiety about? Trust in God's plans for your life because it's always for our good. Even as it says in Romans 8, 28, that we know that in all things, God causes all things to work for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. No matter what it is, they will work for your good. No matter the trial, tribulation, it will work for your good. It all helps to mature you, bring you closer to God, keep you heaven focused. You know, it builds our faith and makes us stronger. Stronger to face the next battle with Satan. That's what the, that's what the trials do for us. They will guide us, they will lead us, they will empower us. We are empowered. You get stronger with the trial period, with the you know, tribulation you go through. As long as you stand with the Lord, he will give you victory and you come out stronger and better for the next one. 
I'm going to leave it here for today. I pray the Lord in his infinite mercy. Father, please be with us. Continue to strengthen us because you always do. You've blessed us with every resource we need to overcome every trial, every test, every tribulation, and every hardship because you never leave us and you never forsake us. And Father, we're so grateful for that, for that confidence. I pray, O oh Lord, that you strengthen those who do not have such a level of faith, that they may know what amazing promises we have in you, Lord Jesus, what your blood has delivered to us. We give you praise, we give you glory. Thank you for your loving kindness and mercy. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So until the next time, may the Lord be with you.